Hello and welcome to an exceptionally special episode of Real Life Ghost Stories. It is episode number 164 and to kick things off, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Elizabeth Gold, Louis Esparza, Morgan Margaret, Catherine Keegan, Paige Eric, Kerry Few, Jamie Kilduff, Daniela DeGirth, Terry Tablante, Jennifer Mullen, Rowena Caldwell, Jessie Saria, Megan F., Kay Yvette, Amy McLeod, and Leandra Bramham. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I love you and appreciate you every single day. And our film review this week. Our film review is Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Tucker and Dale vs. Evil was released in 2010. It has 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb and 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Two scruffy pals backwoods vacation takes a bloody turn when ignorant college students mistake them for murderous hillbillies. This film was recommended by Megan Durand, I think, on the Facebook group. And I saw the post and I thought, oh, I'm intrigued. I didn't really know anything about the film. I don't think I'd ever heard of it. And to be honest, I did not have high hopes. I think comedy horror is a very interesting genre in that when people get it right, it's so right. But when people get it wrong, which is all too often... It's so wrong. So I was a bit apprehensive and I was a bit like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this film. So let's get into it. I'm going to start with the likes. Immediately, I loved it. The opening was great. You've got the college students all in their car going on a road trip. They all immediately demonstrate the stereotypical characters that they're portraying. It just ticked all the boxes for the tropes in a kind of road trip out of town or horror story. And even down to the fact that they pulled into a gas station to get beer and the gas station was called Last Chance Gas Station. And you know when you're watching those horror films where you think the people get to the gas station and there's all sorts of like weird people in the gas station or there's an old woman who says, don't go into the forest, you'll never come out alive. And then you think, why didn't you turn around? Why didn't you turn around at that point and go, you know what, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And the teenagers go and stay in this place where 20 years before there was a couple of what they refer to as crazy hillbillies who murdered a load of teenagers. And it's like the anniversary of that murder. I mean, all of the things, all of the tropes that were really common in kind of 90s, early 2000s horror films. And I was here for it. And it almost felt like I needed a bingo card in front of me to tick off the tropes that they played with. And to be really clear... The characters were the right side of stereotyped. They were obviously completely satirical, but because they didn't go overboard with their parodying of the stereotypes, it sort of made it more entertaining. And I was completely obsessed with the character of Dale. So Tucker and Dale are two best friends. Tucker has bought this cabin in the woods and they're so excited to renovate this cabin to have like a little holiday home for themselves that they can both use. And Dale was such a wholesome character. I absolutely adored him. I adored him so much. I adored every part of his character. I was completely taken by surprise by his character. And one of the ways that's really beautifully represented is the way that he behaves towards women. So I think... One of the tropes of those horror films of that era was that a lot of the girls 
you know, got their breasts out. Kind of unnecessarily, it didn't really add anything to the plot and kind of re-watching them as an adult, you kind of think, oh, that really wasn't necessary, didn't add anything to her character. And it just feels a bit weird, I think, when you re-watch them through a different lens. And there's a scene in this where all of the college students decide to go skinny dipping, which kind of seems to be one of those like rites of passage in these movies, right? So they all go skinny dipping and Tucker and Dale stumble across them. And one of the girls is taking her clothes off and Tucker is like, no, no, I'm gonna, I want to get closer. I want to see, I want to see. And at that point, I sort of was a bit like, oh no, this film is going to like lean into the hypersexualization of these women. But actually, Dale's character immediately covers his hands with his eyes and says to Tucker, no, you can't watch her. That's not fair. You're being a peeping Tom. We shouldn't be watching her getting undressed. And I just thought, yes, Dale, you tell him. And it was completely unexpected and really lovely. I absolutely loved the addition of the dog in the story. I thought Dale's love of the dog was incredible. There is a point where somebody puts his dog in danger and that's the point where he's like, fuck this. Nobody, nobody puts my dog in danger. And he's like, I am going to fight to get my dog back. And I just, I felt that on a deep level, you know. The film itself is just inherently quotable. There were so many great one-liners in it, so many great really funny moments. I watched this film on my own and I really wished I had watched it with somebody else because I laughed out loud a number of times, which really surprised me. Like I properly belly laughed a number of times in this. It's this series of ridiculous events, which they somehow make seem entirely (laughs) plausible in the context of the situation of these two hillbillies being mistaken for murderers and and how this weird series of events causes the college students to think that they're these crazy murderers and it's really it's really entertaining and really well done there are a lot of deaths in this film so a lot of people die and I did see comments in the Facebook post saying you know Emma doesn't like gory films which I really don't like gory films but this isn't a bad one to watch if you're not a fan of gore I promise you it's not it's not horrendous the deaths tend to be bloody rather than anything else. So you've got a lot of people getting impaled on things. But because they're leaning more into the comic element of it, they don't kind of try and make the deaths as gruesome as possible. So it's not that bad in terms of gore. And I'm going to be really honest here, kids. I did not write a single dislike about this film. I just couldn't find one. And to give you a kind of a good comparison for this film, Shaun of the Dead is one of my favourite films ever. I absolutely love it. I think as a comedy horror film, a rom-com-com, it is fantastic. It's clever, it's funny, it's witty, it's emotional, it's touching. And this film has a very similar feel to it. I don't feel like it's as good as Shaun of the Dead, but if you're looking for a good comedy horror film to watch, this is definitely a good comedy horror film. I imagine watching it with a group of friends, having a few drinks, having a laugh. I think you'd have a great time watching this film. Is it going to scare you? Absolutely not. Not in a million years. I think that I'm going to have to give this film five stars. I can't say I didn't have any dislikes and then not give it five stars. I'm on a bit of a roll with giving films five stars at the moment. What's wrong with me? I think I've gone soft in my old age. So that is a Tucker and Dale versus Evil five stars. And our story this week. Our story this week is not about getting lost in the woods and being butchered to death. No, no. Is it related? Not at all. But we're going to get straight into the story and I would implore you to just stick around till the end of the story because I got something very important to tell you. 
Chester is a city that somehow feels quintessentially English. It encompasses Roman architecture in the form of a majestic amphitheatre, and the walled city is home to hundreds of black and white medieval buildings. It's quaint and beautiful and said to be one of the most haunted cities in the world. And nestled on a street corner is what is said to be the most haunted building in the UK, Ye Old King's Head. Ye Old King's Head was built in 1622 and was named after King Charles I. The building, whose foundations date back to 1208, was even constructed with some of the recovered timber from one of Admiral Lord Nelson's sunken ships. In the year 1622, the building became the Randall Home Manor. Lord Randall Home spent his time taking in passing merchants and waifs and strays from around the city, and in 1717, it became a boarding house that took in all manner of weird and wonderful characters. In the present day, the King's Head operates as a pub with an upstairs function room and guest bedrooms and it is widely believed to be home to 13 ghosts, all of whom have taken up residence in its ancient structure and all of whom refuse to leave. The interesting thing about the King's Head pub is that the hauntings are current and the events are wildly frequent. This isn't a case of incidents that have been recorded every couple of years or incidents of times gone by that have been passed down by word of mouth. The King's Head is an active building and there are tons of stories about paranormal encounters here. What you will hear in this episode are some of the encounters with some of the spirits that are said to reside in the King's Head. The list is by no means exhaustive but it should give you some idea as to just how active this place seems to be. It's probably best to start this story with Harry Achilleos. Harry is the current owner of the King's Head, and he has probably heard and witnessed more paranormal activity in the King's Head than anyone else. He maintains that prior to taking over the King's Head, he was a sceptic and pretty agnostic about the paranormal, but now is a firm believer after years of knocks, footsteps, bangs, guests complaining of knocks and bangs in their rooms, guests complaining of covers being ripped off them in the night, staff members being too frightened to go into the function room, one staff member being locked in an office with no explanation, the cries of children, shadow figures, messages left on mirrors, the list is endless. The 13 ghosts said to reside in the King's Head are as follows. Mr. Richardson in the pub itself, the man in the cellar, a young boy and his dog and a young girl in room 5, and their father in room 6, who is not a pleasant man. A woman who appears in the window of room 4, and the story goes that two men jeweled for her love and both died. She and the two men are said to appear. Interestingly, a jeweling sword was found buried under the floorboards of the pub in the 1930s, which is now hanging over the bar. Mary, the spirit of a woman who was murdered, haunts room 1, along with the ghost of a clergyman. There was a sighting of a fully armoured Civil War soldier. A lady named Harriet is believed to have taken her own life by jumping from the window of room 6. And Veronica, a sex worker who worked in the brothel that was in the King's Head. So all in all, it's a pretty busy place. Room 1 was surprisingly innocuous. It could have been a period hotel room in any hotel in the country, except something felt off. It was difficult to describe what that meant, but it felt heavy. 
Like the air was thicker. Whatever, it was definitely psychosomatic. The room was meant to be one of the most actively haunted rooms in the building, but it was irrelevant either way. Sarah and Jessica had been friends for years and had gotten to that point in their friendship where life had flung them to different corners of the country and their meetups now had to be akin to military operations. The kids had to be escaped and their meetups were planned months in advance. In more recent years, they had decided to try and combine their meetups with experiences, things that they had always wanted to do but hadn't had the opportunity or the impetus to do before. They had done luxury spa days and theme park outings, and this time, Jess had chosen a night at a haunted hotel. When the email booking confirmation came through, Sarah had audibly groaned. Bollocks. A night of no sleep and boredom. But the rule was that they did what the other wanted without question or complaint, and so she kept her reservations to herself. And here she was sitting in a nondescript room that was meant to be teeming with ghosts. But the atmosphere did feel different. She couldn't shake a strange, icky feeling. She quickly flicked back through her messages with Jess and read the info she had earnestly sent about room one. In room one, there is the spirit of a woman named Mary who's murdered, and there's also the spirit of a clergyman who's been seen a number of times. Right. Sarah sighed. In for a penny, in for a pound, and at least this way she could tell Jess she gave it a good go. Is there anyone in the room with me? She desperately thought back to her days of watching Most Haunted. And she kept the questions coming, feeling mildly ridiculous, and was just glad that no one could see her. She heard the creak of footsteps outside the room door. The building was old, and hearing people walking around was a pretty unmistakable sound. She listened for the footsteps to continue past the room, but they stopped outside the door. Weird. She listened intently, and the footsteps started again, seemingly walking the same path towards her room door. Jess was trying to scare her, obviously. She climbed down off the bed, trying to be as quiet as possible, and stood at the door listening for the footsteps to start again. She poised at the door with her hand on the handle and as soon as the footsteps reached the door she threw open the door prepared to be confronted with Jess's shocked face. But there was nothing in the corridor. It was dark and still and silent but still the air felt heavy. Sarah felt a bit uneasy now. She could have sworn there were footsteps. She would have bet her life that Jess was going to be standing outside the door but there was nobody there. She closed the door, slower this time, and clambered back onto the bed. She took a deep breath and started again. If there's anyone here, can you knock for me? She wasn't really expecting a knock, so when it did come, she froze in shock. She not only heard the knock, but she physically felt it. Because the knock came from the underside of the bed frame that she was currently sitting on. She felt the knock reverberate through her body. Someone was under the bed. She tried to settle herself but was too afraid to put her feet onto the floor with the innate fear of someone grabbing her ankles from under the bed. One of the staff had said earlier 
that he had had his ankles grabbed in the night by something in room one, and while at the time she had inwardly rolled her eyes. She suddenly recalled the story with a less sceptical brain. She lowered herself onto her belly and lowered her head over the edge of the bed. Of course there was nothing there and no one under the bed, but she had felt that knock. She shook it off, putting it down to a perfect storm of suggestion, but equally hastily left the room and rejoined Jess in room six. The fact that they were staying in room six had really made her laugh. Jess had earnestly explained to her all about the entities that resided in that room. There was a man named Charles, whose spirit lingered in the room. He was believed to have been a brothel owner and was violent towards women. There are those who believe that a woman named Harriet threw herself from the window, but some say she was pushed. As in life, Charles's spirit hated women in death, and women often felt uncomfortable and sick in this room. Despite the alleged haunting in the room, the two friends sat and chatted and laughed, and at points they marvelled at how quickly humans just get used to something. Initially, Jess had been terrified to set foot in the room, and now she was sitting on the edge of the bed, methodically rolling a cap ball across the room. No matter how many times she asked, the spirits in the room stubbornly refused to roll the cap ball back. The cap balls were little plastic balls that light up when they're touched, and they definitely added a touch of frivolity to the proceedings. As they chatted, Sarah became aware of something, a sound that she was all too familiar with. Jess stopped talking. Jess stopped talking and caught the tail end of a strange little noise. Jess, tell me you heard that. I mean, I did, but what was it? Did the bed squeak? Yeah, maybe. Something about that sound had triggered something in Sarah, a very definite response to a sound that she had heard countless times. Seconds later, the room was illuminated by the glow of the cat balls which were sat untouched and unmoved on the floor, forgotten about in the conversation. They hadn't lit up previously, but now they lit up incessantly as though there was someone repeatedly touching them. They both watched them, with Jess immediately asking questions, to which the cat balls seemed to respond intelligently. It must be a malfunction, right? Surely it was a malfunction, but the noise and the sudden light-up of the cat balls made Sarah feel funny. But everything went quiet, and the building seemed to take a deep breath and settle itself back down again. Room 5 was where the ghosts of two small children lived, Billy and Sarah, and there was a flutter of apprehension for Sarah about the fact that she had a dead namesake in this building. The stories of the children being heard in the hotel were numerous. People reported hearing them giggling and playing up and down the corridors, and a porcelain doll in the room would frequently end up falling on the floor, despite there being no discernible reason as to why this kept happening. Again, Sarah and Jess quickly became accustomed to their surroundings, and after some exploration of the room, they fell into a familiar pattern of chatting and generally catching up until a natural lull in the conversation revealed something. Nestled in the silence was a sound, 
It was the same sound that Sarah had heard in room six. It was unmistakable this time. It wasn't a squeaky bed or a cat calling in the night. It was the sound of a baby crying. Jess sprung into action around the room, pausing every minute or so to cock her head and listen to the sound as it continued. The soft, mournful cries and hiccups of a distressed baby. Jess walked around the room trying to pinpoint where the sound was coming from. It wasn't coming from outside the window. It was coming from somewhere inside the building. Methodically, she circled around the room, until eventually... She stopped at the wall between room 5 and room 6. Sarah, it's coming from inside the walls. The night was peppered with knocks and footsteps, little phantom noises and the sporadic far-off sound of a baby crying. It was a funny old night. The pair went through phases of fear and phases of acting as though they were just having a catch-up in a pub. The night continued and finally, in a last-ditch attempt to contact those that had passed before the need to sleep took over, the two entered the function room in order to conduct a session using a spirit box. The function room was said to be the most haunted room in the building, with a dark shadowy figure being captured on camera in the room twice. The owner, Harry, had told them that he had witnessed the dark shadowy figure firsthand during a game of poker. The game had been going on for hours, as poker often does, and in truth it was actually becoming quite boring. As he watched the game unfold, he felt a sudden chill in the air around him, and saw with his own eyes a dark, misty figure come towards him and pass in between him and another member of staff who had also seen it. Initially, Sarah hadn't thought twice about this story. A classic ghost tale of a haunted pub, but now... Now she wasn't so sure. She hadn't felt anything strange or sinister in the room previously. But sitting around that huge table with the strange white noise of that spirit box pumping into the air, she began to feel a change in the atmosphere. Like something was growing and building in the air around them. Jess was asking questions. The spirit box continued to pump the noise. Is there anyone there? Were you murdered here? Tell us your name. And then it happened. A voice burst out from the air. Sarah thought it had come from the box itself, but Jess thought it came from the room. A loud, rasping, deep voice boomed out. Do it. Surely it was a voice from the box, right? It scanned through radio frequencies or something, or it must have been programmed to spit out voices randomly. Right? Apparently not. The box did not scan radio frequencies. It was just high-frequency sounds to charge the air. The voice didn't come from the box. And Sarah was never happier than when the sun rose the next morning. Like I said earlier in this episode, this is a short, sweet glimpse into the activity in ye old king's head. But here's the thing. Sarah and Jess are completely fictional characters. But their story is based on my personal experiences at the king's head.
So there's the kicker, ladies and gentlemen. If you've been following me on Instagram and Facebook and stuff this week, you'll have seen that I will have posted little teasers about my time in Ye Old King's Head. I need to be really clear and to clarify before I start talking about this. This is not an ad. I'm not being paid to promote this. There has been absolutely no deal made between me and Ye Old King's Head in order to get people to come in. This is just something that I wanted to do an episode on. And this week, myself and the lovely Kev from We Need to Talk About Ghosts went and spent the night in the King's Head. And you can watch our entire experience on YouTube. And I also need to be really clear that this is not a vlog that I recorded. The King's Head has been completely rigged up with cameras. So every room has cameras, thermal imaging cameras. It has microphones, etc., And every week, the owner of the King's Head, Harry, and his team create a paranormal investigation episode of all of the people who have stayed in the King's Head that week. And the episode with myself and Kevin from We Need to Talk About Ghosts is currently on YouTube. It has just been released. It is My Haunted Hotel, episode 12. The link will be in the description of this episode. And also to make it abundantly clear, I had no control over the edit of this. I do not know... How much of an idiot I look in this episode, I have absolutely no idea. So if you want to go and watch my experiences and Kev's experiences firsthand, then please go to YouTube, My Haunted Hotel, episode 12. The link's in the description of this episode. So let's get into it. And I'm going to explain to you a little bit how I ended up in the King's Head in the first place. So I obviously watch a lot of paranormal content. So Netflix, Amazon, whatever, they always throw up paranormal suggestions for me. And one of the paranormal suggestions that I got was a TV show called Haunted Hunts. And I had no idea what this was. It was on Amazon, so I clicked on it. It was a paranormal investigation TV show. And the host was a guy called Danny Moss. And I quickly realized that Danny was actually from the UK. So I contacted him because I wanted to do some sort of interview with him. I wanted to do an interview with like a paranormal investigator. And that was how I ended up finding him. And when I found him, I realized that they were doing something called My Haunted Hotel, which had only just recently launched. And I was really intrigued. So I reached out to them and I said, look, tell me what the story is with My Haunted Hotel. I'd love to come and visit and I'd love to bring Kev with me. And they invited us along to come and stay the night. And here's how My Haunted Hotel got started. So Harry is, as I mentioned in the story, the owner of the pub and hotel and he is the very real owner of the pub and the hotel and he has owned the pub I think for the last like 10 years maybe longer and what he said was that he very quickly realized that the pub hotel was haunted his staff kept having experiences he kept having experiences and he wanted to find some way to incorporate the fact that the hotel was wildly paranormal And the fact that it was also a hotel that you could go and stay in. So over lockdown, he installed cameras in all of the rooms. He changed all the decor to make it spooky. And my haunted hotel was born. So when you go and stay the night at this hotel, every single room, like I said, is rigged with cameras and they are recording the whole time. So while you are in your room, you have a walkie-talkie and there is a team of three people, Danny, Brett and Harry, who are in a control room watching all the cameras and they will radio you and say, can you go to room one? Can you go to room five? Can you go to room four? There is an experiment set up there for you. We're going to have like a session in the function room together, whatever it is. So really, it was it felt like starring in your own paranormal TV show. And honestly, for somebody who has an ego as big as mine, I was living for it. 
I was living for it. It was honestly so much fun and you can do it. It's completely open to the public. I believe it's £140 for two people to spend the night and during that night, like I said, you've got your walkie-talkie, they will radio you, they will be there all the time. Like if anything happens numerous times in the night, I was able to radio and say, look, I just heard a bang. Can you rewind the cameras and have a look for me? And they would go back and look at the footage. Honestly, it was so much fun. But we're not here to talk about fun. We're here to talk about whether or not the place was actually haunted and whether or not it was actually scary. So I admittedly went into this feeling pretty sceptical. Spoiler alert, I did not leave feeling pretty sceptical. But I decided that I was just going to lean into it. I was going to do the things that you need to do. Like, you know, do the calling out. Do whatever the guys asked me to do. And try and be like as good a sport as possible. Because I knew that Kev would as well. And I have to admit that what I expected was that I would spend the night being really bored. Sort of sitting around in a cold area kind of looking around me and every so often somebody would go oh my god did you hear that noise and I'd I would inwardly roll my eyes that is what I thought would happen that is not actually what happened at all I don't know how much of what Kev and I experienced that night is going to make it into the episode on YouTube like I said I don't have any creative control and there were other guests in the hotel who were also doing their own paranormal investigation too so I don't know how much is going to make it into the episode But what I can tell you is that the knock under the bed very much did happen to me. The footsteps outside the door of that particular room very much did happen to me. And at that point in time, I was kind of like, oh, those things were strange. But I didn't feel scared. I didn't feel threatened. And I sort of also thought it's a very old building. There probably is a rational explanation, like the building's cooling down. The wood is expanding and contracting that's probably why I'm hearing those noises but it was certainly atmospheric and I know the ladies who were also investigating the rooms had some experiences too so it was kind of like a good start and then everything quietened down a little bit and as you can imagine for two talkers Kev and I were just talking 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 about everything and anything but then everything really did take a sort of sharply bizarre turn And I'm sure there are numerous logical explanations as to what happened. But I'm going to explain it in a little bit of detail. And then if you want to see the whole story and see what happened, you can watch the video. And if we watch the video, because I'm going to be seeing it for the first time with you guys and stuff isn't shown that I told you happened, then I'll give you more information. There was this really strange point in the night where Kev and I were in room six. Uh, Room six was the room where Charles, the kind of evil entity, was supposed to reside and Harriet, the spirit who was meant to have been pushed out the window. And Kev and I were fanning around in that room. I brought some cat balls, which are those little balls that light up when you touch them. And Kev was rolling the ball across the room repeatedly and saying, can you roll it back to me in the middle of having conversations? So in the middle of speaking, I did turn to Kev and I said, Kev, you need to stop talking now. Because I thought I could hear a baby crying. And when Kev stopped speaking, he just got the end of it. And I said, Kev, I think that was a baby crying. And I sort of assumed there must be a baby in a house nearby. It's a really hot night. People probably have their windows open. So I radioed down to the control room and I said, is there anybody, is there any reason as to why I would hear a baby crying in this room? Like, is there a house around with a baby in it, etc., etc.? And they radioed back and they said, oh my God, people have heard a baby crying in that 
room. It only happens really rarely, but we don't think it's from outside. And I was like, okay, weird. So then, you know, the night went on. Kev and I moved into another room. We're hearing footsteps up and down the corridor outside. And then clear as day, we heard the baby crying. And it went on for a while. And it sounded like it was coming from the space in between the two rooms. And look, I'm not going to say that that's what it was. I'm not going to say that it was paranormal. I can tell you now it wasn't a cat or an animal. It was most definitely a baby crying, without a doubt. It was a baby crying. The likely explanation is that there is a house nearby that had a baby and the sound travelled, right? But did it really put the shits up me? It absolutely did. I was like, how mad is that? I can't believe that we have just heard that. And the funny thing was that after that had happened, Kev and I went back to the original room, which was room six, and it was noticeably colder, like far colder than it had been previously. To the point where we both commented on how cold it was. And I need to be really clear that it was hot in that hotel. It was hot. It is hot in the UK at the moment. We're having a heat wave. And holy moly, was it hot in that hotel. And the room definitely felt colder. So I suddenly could see why people talk about that in ghost stories all the time. Now, for whatever reason, I don't know why the temperature dropped. As I always say, I'm not a scientist. I know it shocks people to hear I'm not a scientist. But there's obviously, you know, there could be a million and one logical explanations as to why the temperature dropped. But it was really noticeably colder. And I was like, oh, putting all these things together is making me see why people really do go into these situations and feel like they're experiencing things. And at this point, I started to feel really sick. And I feel the need to mention that because at the time, I thought it was just because of my adrenaline. So when I have high adrenaline, I generally get, I start to feel really nauseous. And that's like a life thing. And I've commented on it before on Patreon episodes. And I think on the podcast that we often hear about paranormal investigators who are like, oh, I suddenly feel really sick. And they don't seem to recognize that like feelings of anxiety and feelings of like nausea are linked or feelings of nervousness and feelings of nausea are linked. And it can happen like really suddenly that when you're anxious or nervous that you will suddenly feel really sick. And I felt really sick in this room, like really, really sick, like I was going to puke at any minute. And I said to Kev, Kev, I'm feeling really sick, but if I if I puke, don't worry about it. It's literally just because that's what happens when I, you know, when I feel adrenaline. So I didn't really pay much attention to it. But I think it's worth noting that I then realised when I left the room, I felt absolutely fine. Like I really quickly felt absolutely fine. And I didn't realise at the time, but they did say afterwards that women in particular often feel really sick in that room, which is why I added it into the story. Do I think that I was feeling sick because of the ghost of Charles? Probably not. I think it was probably like a happy coincidence, but I just thought it was worth mentioning. And the other thing that I think is worth mentioning is that I didn't really understand what people meant when they talked about an atmosphere in a room in terms of like paranormal investigation. But you could feel changes in atmosphere in the rooms. And I don't know whether it was because of like my own perception or because the atmosphere was changing because everybody around the table or everybody in the room was feeling really heightened. But you could palpably feel the atmosphere change. If you're listening to this and you're a teacher or you have worked in maybe mental health, there used to be a really particular feeling in the air if there was going to be a fight in the school. So 
like you know all secondary school kids at some point inevitably some kids are going to get into a fight like a physical altercation and I always remember that you could feel it in the air when there was a fight brewing and I remember being on duty like numerous times and getting that feeling that was a fu- that there was a fight brewing, not being able to quite understand where it was going to be coming from and trying to figure out, right, I can feel this change in the atmosphere and I need to be hyper, hyper vigilant as to where this fight is going to start. And I got that feeling, particularly when we were sitting around the big table in the function room. I'm pretty sure that at some point, Harry said, oh, you can feel the change in the air. It feels like something's building up. And it really did. Like it was the oddest feeling. And it was in that room where we had that horrific encounter with what I can only describe as a demonic voice. And I, you know, I don't, I'm not a demon person. I don't believe that everything is demons. But this voice terrified me. Like properly, full on terrified me. It made me feel cold when I heard it. I don't know how well it'll come across on the YouTube video. I don't know if it will come across well at all or whether it'll be like a diluted version of what we heard. But it was shocking. And genuinely, in order to try and get some semblance of sleep that night, I had to tell myself that it was planted. That it was something that was built into the recording or built into the static sounds. There was no way it could have been real. It had to have been faked because I just wouldn't have been able to sleep otherwise. And I left the next morning feeling knackered because I'd barely gotten any sleep and I had an early train to catch. But it was great fun. Like it was a really good night. I knew that Kev would be the best person to bring along with me. And we had an absolute ball and he was such a great sport. And this is my like public thank you to him for coming with me. So if you don't listen to We Need to Talk About Ghosts and the Dark Paranormal already, please do go and listen to them. So that's my first plug. But we really had like a good time even though we were scared shitless numerous times throughout the night, we also had a real laugh, like it was really good fun. And the three guys that we were working with, so Harry, Brett and Danny, they were also great. They were really, really good. It is immaculately planned out and set up. And it was so much fun to feel like I was in my own paranormal TV show, to be able to like radio down to the control room and be like, oh, I just heard this. Can you rewind the tape for like 10 seconds and see if you heard it on the cameras? I was shocked at how much I enjoyed the whole situation to a degree that when I was on the way back, I was like, I have to go back there again. I have to do another investigation there. Maybe we could do like a real life ghost stories. We need to talk about ghosts event where we invite people to come along with us. Honestly, my brain was going a million miles an hour. So I'm not going to continue talking about it. But what I am going to say is this. If you are somebody who watches paranormal TV shows or paranormal investigation TV shows and you're like, I could do that. This is actually your place to do it. What they are offering is completely unique. I can't believe how much I enjoyed it. So like I said to you guys, this isn't an ad. This isn't like a sponsored thing. They haven't asked me to do this. I'm doing this because of how much I enjoyed it, to be really honest. So if it sounds like something you're interested in, go and watch the YouTube video. And please watch the YouTube video either way. Like it's me unedited by me. So you can see how much of a knob I actually am in real life go and watch the YouTube video, subscribe to their YouTube channel and book in, book into my haunted hotel if it sounds like a type of thing that you'd be into. Honestly, it's worth it. It's such a cool experience. Couldn't recommend it more. And it freaked me out. There's the part of me that wants to walk away from this and go, there are logical, rational explanations for everything that happened that night. 
But there is also the part of me that absolutely desperately wants to go back and see what else happens. I also nearly completely forgot to mention that I actually brought a voice recorder with me and I did some like EVP stuff with Kev and but it kept we just kept bursting out laughing and just being idiots about it. But what I did do was I left the EVP device recording while I slept and I kind of I've gone through it. I haven't gone through it like with a fine tooth comb and I kept seeing these little spikes in the audio and uh, yeah wasn't expecting what I heard. I'm going to add it in now so you can hear it and then I'll explain why it's a bit weird in a second. So that audio hasn't been edited at all. Uh, Those are bangs coming from the room that I was sleeping in and neither myself or Kev heard them and they happened continuously throughout the night. Like sporadically continuously right up until I stopped the recording when I got up in the morning. I didn't hear them at all at the time and they are much louder than anything else in the room or in the recording. I don't understand how I didn't wake up. It's the oddest sound. It's like a door slamming or somebody banging on a door but I didn't hear sight nor sound of that when I was actually in that room. I don't know man. It's so weird. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. It's been a bit of a weird episode today, a bit of a different one, but I hope you enjoy it and I hope you enjoy the YouTube video. And please, please, please let me know if you end up going to my haunted hotel and spending the night. I would be dying to hear about your experiences. If you want to watch the episode where me and Kev make absolute fools of ourselves doing a paranormal investigation, just remember it's my haunted hotel episode 12 on YouTube. The link will be in the description of this video. Go and give it a watch and let me know what you think. If you want to find out anything more about Real Life Ghost Stories podcast, you can do so by checking out reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can also subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content and all of the main episodes and mini episodes completely ad-free. And on that note, I shall see you next week. <laughs>